You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. I am not going to tell you how wonderful he is. You, that will be obvious by his story. So please, can you welcome to the stage, Stephen Musk. first talk just a couple of years ago in the bar will remember that I didn't have a great time at Cambridge University and after five and a half years there I woke up one morning and thought I really need to be in the loony bin so I checked in and by the time I actually got everything arranged it was half past seven at night and I was in there and I thought oh dear this is a mistake I want to go home again uh, the nurses kept me talking for a bit and then uh, this strange woman appeared, and uh, I was told that she was an approved social worker. And I was asked if I knew what an approved social worker did. And I was informed, I, did, I said I didn't know, and I was informed that uh, she had the, the power under the Mental Health Act to legally detain me in hospital, even if I didn't want to be there. And it was suggested that it might look better on my CV if I'd never been detained in hospital and went in as a voluntary patient. Voluntary is a euphemism, we don't use it anymore. So, so I agreed to stay. I spent uh, a most disagreeable night in what was literally a padded cell. Hardly got any sleep because the night staff kept shining torches on me to make sure I wasn't uh, dead. And then the next morning they said after lunch I would be transferred across to another acute ward, the other side of the, uh, the, the hospital site. So morning was a bit dull and then after lunch uh, a nurse took me over to the other acute wards. It was a fairly large building of aluminium and glass, definitely 60s, and there was a, a large central hall and you went left for Friends Ward and right for Street Ward and I was on Friends Ward and the nurse took me to my, my bed and said this is where you're sleeping and then the nurse just disappeared. So there I was standing there in this four bedroom, four bed dormitory. No one was in there. I didn't want to be in hospital at that point. All I had with me was the clothes I was wearing. Nobody knew I was there. And I couldn't think that anybody would give a fuck that I was there. So that for me is shipwrecked. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? There's no one in the bedroom. There's no point staying there. There was no one in the day room. There was no one there either. So I went into the, the central hallway and sort of stood there hoping something might happen, blinking back the tears. Then I heard someone behind me call out my name, which was at university, it was Toby. Toby's a name I hate because it makes me sound like a posh twat and I'm not posh at all. <laughs> anyway, I turned around and there was uh, uh, Andy who was a chubby bearded bloke in his mid-twenties who ran our college bar and he was standing next to a, a chubby bearded bloke in his mid-thirties who I didn't know and Andy 
beckoned me over and uh, he said, are you visiting somebody? And I said, uh, alas, no, I'm a patient here. This is my first day and I'm not enjoying it. And he said, this is my mate Richard. He's been in hospital before. He knows all about it. He'll show you the ropes. So we had a couple of minutes of conversation. And then Andy said, uh, I've got to go back to work now. I'll say, Richard, will look after you. Now, at that time, I didn't really do strangers, so I was a bit nervous. But uh, uh, Richard was wonderful. He, uh, he, uh, he gave me lessons in how to be a successful lunatic. And... and uh, we also found we shared something very specific in, in common, which turned out to be very comforting for me, and I'll get back to that later. But uh, the, the lessons in being a successful lunatic involve getting to know that there's a certain amount of camaraderie between uh, fellow sufferers from mental health problems. We tell each other our stories, share intimate details, talk about diagnoses, medicines, ones that work, ones that don't, ones with horrible side effects. How mental health professionals generally know diddly squat about mental health. We laugh at our feeble suicide attempts and generally have a bit of gallows humour, good time. And many of us practice reverse stigmatisation. Instead of normal people looking down on us for being loonies, we look down on normal people for not being loonies. Because as far as we're concerned, anyone who is not a loony, is probably too emotionally retarded and unreliable to be bothered with. <laughs> I think I've just lost the, the audience, Molly. Uh, so, uh, this uh, teaching from uh, Richard was so successful that from that day on, uh, I've always preferred being in a hospital to being out in society. And, uh, unfortunately... Maggie Thatcher shut the hospitals, and these days I'm stuck out in society with you lot. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, back to the, uh, the, the, the special thing we had in common, which I said gave you much comfort. It was uh, the fact that uh, we had the same favourite song. Uh, some of you who are old enough might remember this. It's called MacArthur Park. It was uh, recorded by Richard Harris in 1968, and it was a huge hit all over the world. Uh, it's remembered these days largely with derision because uh, Richard Harris really can't sing. He doesn't get anywhere near any of the right notes at any stage. And it's also remembered because its uh, lyrics are absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I'll give you the, the, the main chorus. It's, uh, MacArthur's Park is melting in the dark, all the sweet green icing flowing down. Someone left the cake out in the rain. I don't think that I can take it because it took so long to bake it and I'll never have that recipe again. <laughs> Number two. Cake with green icing. <laughs> Many thanks to Gwyn in the audience for dyeing the icing for me. <laughs> now... Although the song was remembered by everyone else with derision, me and Richard loved it. We thought that uh, Harris's cracked and tortured vocals added rather than subtracted from the listening experience. And we knew what the green icing was all about. Green icing was a metaphor for our, for our mental well-being. The green icing had been obliterated, and so had our mental well-being. So there I was considering things. I thought, can I dig myself out of this situation? Am I ever going to bounce back? 
And that was about almost a, a third of a century ago. And the answer, unfortunately, is still no. I haven't bounced back. Uh, uh, suddenly lost my track. I'll be with you in a sec. Uh, yes, uh, it was sort of a, a fairly glum moment uh, at that point, uh, thinking what was going to happen. Um, but uh, then I thought, well, we'll get back now to the point where the thinking Coleman was uh, um, uh, giving me some comfort because uh, the, uh, while we were discussing the cake in our, uh, our musings on Richard Harris, I realized that I knew exactly what my Richard was thinking and feeling and he knew exactly what I was thinking and feeling and we were very, very close friends at that point. I was much closer to him than I'd ever been to anyone ever before. Much, 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 much closer. And uh, that, was, that was pretty amazing, actually. Pretty amazing. As I said, it hadn't happened before. It's happened rarely since. But uh, although it wasn't a great time watching my life uh, sort of drip irretrievably down the toilet, I knew at that point, for the first time in my life, that I wasn't alone. So thank you, Richard. That's it. Molly, that cake is second prize and the second best member of the Thank you. Stephen Mutt. Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website truestorieslive.co.uk.